Hello, I'm Natalie Alexander, and welcome to The Next Page, the podcast of the UN Library and Archives Geneva, designed to advance the conversation on multilateralism. Today, we release a bonus episode to mark the International Day of Multilateralism and Diplomacy for Peace, established in 2018 by the UN General Assembly and observed each year on today, the 24th of April. At the heart of our podcast is the aim to enrich and promote understanding of the values of multilateralism and international cooperation. To mark this day, our director at the Library and Archives, Francesco Pisano, speaks with the Director General of UN Geneva, Tatiana Valovaya. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome everyone to this new episode of The Next Page, the podcast of Library and Archives UN Geneva, designed to advance the conversation on multilateralism. And today we have a special episode on the day of multilateralism and diplomacy for peace. And we have invited in our studio the Director General of the United Nations Geneva, Tatiana Valovaya. The UN Secretary General appointed Tatiana Valovaya to her position back in May 2019 as the first woman to take the position of Director General of UN Geneva. She arrived in the midst of a severe liquidity shortage here in the UN Secretariat and just months before the global crisis sparked by the COVID pandemic. And she inherited large renovation works on top of it because the Palais des Nations is being renovated for the first time since its construction in the mid-30s, 1930s, last century. So this has not really stopped her and the good team at UN Geneva from achieving great things under, under her leadership. So, for example, just to give you an example, two big achievements, the opening of a new environmental friendly building on the UN compound, completely new. This hadn't been done in decades and the completion of the full digitization of the League of Nations archives, which are now digital and available to everyone. Also leading the repositioning of UN Geneva conferencing to continue the work of multilateralism in a challenging COVID situation. That was also an achievement uh, under her leadership. So Tatiana Valavaya's profile and experience are very rich. She trained as an economist and she's holding a PhD in economic sciences and she brings to the UN 35 years of experience in journalism, diplomacy, multilateral negotiations, and government service. So, Director General, Ms. Tatiana Valovaya, welcome to the podcast. And before we delve into the matter of today, which is UN Geneva today and tomorrow, could you please introduce yourself to your audience who may not know you and how you came about, you came to international diplomacy and then became the Director General of UN Geneva? Thank you very much, and it's a pleasure to talk to you today, especially on the day of multilateralism, because practically all years I worked for international organizations or for my government, I was dealing with international affairs with multilateral system. I was always very much interested in international relations, though in my generation, international relations, international corporations were not the field too much open for women. It was still a male-dominated uh, sphere, but I was really interested in international relations, so I have chosen 
the sphere of international economic and monetary relations. I was among very few girls in our department in the Financial University. But at the same time, I was very much interested in journalism because at that period of time, journalism was really something which could help to change the world. Because really, well, in the period when there were no internet, people were receiving the information about the world from the newspapers, from the television, and journalism was a career where you really could influence the world. So I worked uh, as a journalist in a specialized economic uh, newspaper, And then um, it was a little bit unusual offer which I received by one of my authors who published an article in our newspaper and we had a very good uh, uh, cooperation while preparing his article when I was taking the interview. And he was uh, the diplomat and he was nominated the ambassador, the first ambassador to the European communities at the time, not yet European Union. That's how I found myself in the diplomatic state uh, service. And since then I was working exactly in... Um, international affairs, working in Brussels, later back uh, to my native country. And uh, then, uh, because I was really always very much interested in multilateral system and also how supranational systems work, like European Union. So after the breakup of the Soviet Union, I started working uh, together with my colleagues in uh, the projects around regional integration. That's how I became working for Eurasian Economic Union. I worked all these years a lot with United Nations, especially on SDGs. That's why when I was nominated to become uh, Director General of Office here in Geneva, it was a great honor, great surprise, but that was really something I was looking to. And, and indeed, um, your, your career sort of prepared you for, for the job. Yet, you landed in the UN in, at the peak of a transition time. Not only multilateralism is in transition, there, there is a lot of, uh, a lot of literature on, on this transition happening right now in our era. But also the UN is going through uh, a time of uh, many reforms, a time of redefinition of many mechanisms, not the values, the values of the charter are fixed stars for the international system. Some, some authors even refer to the charter as the constitution of the international community. Not that, but the UN's mechanism is undergoing, you know, scrutiny from the outside and reform from the inside. So I'd like to ask you, for the benefit of our audience, what can you say about your experience in your first formal UN job that came as your Undersecretary General? How does working for the UN Secretariat compare to the other international institutions where you worked before? Well, I would say that uh, one thing which really surprised me when I came here working for United Nations was how uh, multifaceted United Nations is and uh, what kind of a great work is being done by the organization. Because even me, who worked all my career in international affairs, 
who worked a lot with different uh, UN organizations. I've been coming to Geneva before to participate in the meetings of UNCTAD, of UNEC. I was participating in all high-level political forums in New York on sustainable development, etc. Even as a professional uh, person, maybe I knew 10% about the work the United Nations really are doing. And that's a pity. That's a pity because the United Nations is quite often perceived from the point of view of conflicts, of political discussions, of uh, uh, security council. And very few people realize that the majority of things they are meeting around the world are have a connection to the United Nations. It's not only peacekeepers or humanitarian support or refugees though it's crucial. But let's not forget about human rights, conference on disarmament, and many everyday topics like, uh, well, flying, technical standards, telecommunication standards. And that's a pity. As a former journalist, I know, and there are no former journalists, we are always remaining something who tries to analyze uh, the information, how you could communicate it to people. As a former journalist, I know that, of course, journalists are more interested in problems. They are less interested in some positive stories because uh, that does not sell your newspaper. So it's a problem to tell the people about positive things, about achievements of the United Nations. But we have to find a way how to communicate it, to be more personal about it, because really people should know that the world, which is really in transition now, it's amidst many global challenges and crises, the worst geopolitical uh, crisis we ever had since the Second World War. Nevertheless, the world would have been much worse place if we did not have the United Nations. That goes uh, without saying. I think there's no doubt uh, about that. Um, I am very interested in the phenomenon and practice of leadership, so I need to ask you this. As the first woman to serve as Director General, what do female leadership skills bring to this job? And what are the main differences vis-a-vis masculine leadership styles in your personal opinion and experience? Well, first of all, I don't think that there should be female leadership or male leadership. It should be balanced leadership. Because exactly men and women, they do have different leadership styles. By the way, it wasn't so seen before. Why? Because in the previous uh, periods, women who came to the top of the power, they had to behave and to lead like men. For example, Margaret Thatcher was an iron lady. She was not perceived as somebody who was leading as a female. But many modern uh, political female figures are leading like females. So we have to understand that, of course, men and women quite often are analyzing situation differently. They have different perspectives. And, for example, I would say uh, women are much better in multitasking than men. And that's good for the modern era when you have so many crises to attend to and each new crisis changes the focal of your attention, but you shouldn't forget the previous crisis. So that's a very important quality. 
or uh, women quite often are more flexible in looking for some solutions. And we have analytical data proving that, for example, if women are participating in negotiating a peace treaty, conflict uh, um, uh, uh, settlements, there are high, uh, higher chances that these agreements are going to last. So it's important to combine the styles, combine two visions, and to have a balanced leadership. That's why we're speaking not about female or male leadership, exactly about a balanced leadership. And thank you for that. I think it's very wise. Let me ask you also something connected to this question. What is your most memorable moment so far in your job as Director General here in Geneva? Well, I would say there are two moments. The first moment was meeting our staff. It was a first town hall, and it was in person with uh, hundreds of people in uh, assembly hall. I was really impressed how inclusive, how diverse, how big is our personnel, how really what kind of a strength and power we have here in Geneva to work for the benefits of all. I was really very much impressed by communication to the staff, talking to them, answering the questions, and really to see that there is a very strong force here in Geneva, which uh, can um, go on. And the second was meeting our Palais de Nation. It was later, because at the first month I was always running around from one conference uh, to another. But during the confinement in April 2020, when I was walking around the Palais all by myself and just finding, well, the new rooms, the corridors, I was really impressed by the beauty and the symbolism of Palais de Nation, because we really have to realize that it was built in the 30s, but it was conceived immediately after the First World War, after very tragic war, after pandemic. And nevertheless, the member states decided to invest lots of money, lots of efforts into building this Palais de Nation, because they really thought that you need to build a multilateral system, you need to build a multilateral organization, and you have to provide this organization with this beautiful building uh, because it's a symbol of a multilateral system. And that shows how wise our ancestors were, uh, and really we have to follow in their steps because we have to preserve the Palais de Nation, we have to preserve and strengthen multilateral system. And you're referring to an episode that our audience may not be aware of. During the the pandemic, at one point, we had to close the building to to people. And you're referring to your walks in a deserted Palais des Nations, as enormous as it is, completely uh, deserted of people. And uh, on that occasion, you also took a series of uh, of very interesting photos that were also um, exhibited here in Geneva in in a, in a local museum. And uh, with some success, I must say, the photos are very, very impressive. Impressive. So I, I had a glimpse of what you've seen through through the lens of the camera. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And let me stay on the pandemic for 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 a little while. 
because the pandemic has changed the world, the, the way we change the world, of course, but also the way we work as professionals in international affairs here in the Secretariat. And um, would you say that it has also changed the way you do your own job as Director General? And uh, what do you see going forward for the Secretariat in Geneva? Uh, as way of working. Has the pandemic really changed the way we work or are we going to go back to what we were doing before? And how's the role of say, Director General uh, done now that it's a little bit virtual, a little bit hybrid, a, bit, a little bit in person? Well, I would say, of course, pandemic uh, did change our priorities because before pandemic, we had our priorities uh, lined for the next uh, several years. And of course, our priority was and is still is sustainable development goals, strengthening of multilateral system. But really what we are doing, these are the instruments for reaching sustainable development goals. That has stayed. But at the same time, there were some very urgent priorities. Uh, remember the beginning of the pandemics uh, when uh, there were too many question marks. We didn't know how long it's going to last, what are the consequences, how and if we will be able to go on working. There were so many uh, question marks. So it was necessary to take all these decisions because first priority was, of course, to protect the health and safety of the staff or the delegates to make necessary decisions. But the second was to resume our activities, to find new ways of how we can do business. That's why we started these discussions on these two tracks together with my senior team, how we can resume our activities. And uh, because we started these uh, discussions immediately after we went into lockdown, we were, were able to start reopening already in May, June. In practical terms, uh, we uh, in Geneva were the first uh, duty stations of the United Nations which resumed its activities, Human Rights Council sessions, Conference on Disarmament, and then others, because the member states needed our support in order to resume these activities. And, of course, that took lots of planning and efforts, because at the beginning of the pandemic, we did not have a single room in our Palais de Nation, which was equipped for hybrid or virtual conferences. And immediately we started doing this and managed by uh, June uh, um, and July to have certain rooms, which later the number was increased. And now we're able to provide our member states with hybrid and virtual conferences. I am absolutely sure that the future will be hybrid. We will not go back to the way we worked before, not because it was a bad way of work. No, we all need in-person meetings, in-person communication. And one thing which really pandemic confirmed that even in the digital age, there is no replacement especially when we're speaking about diplomacy, international cooperation, to in-person meetings. We're going back to in-person meetings. But we also, as a result of the pandemic, moved faster to this new digital way. And the hybrid uh, possibilities 
are the possibilities to provide us with inclusion. For example, uh, Geneva Peace Week, the last edition, we had 3,000 participants from more than 100 uh, states all around the world. And of course, we are not going back to have these events only in person and limiting the participation. But of course, it will be always the choice of the member states to make a decision what kind of format suits better this or this, and that would allow us to use these different ways of work, of communication. But of course, the future will be different. Let's look for for a moment now beyond this Palais des Nations and into this international Geneva. After all, Geneva is a very special uh, host city for the UN. Unlike any other city, it is imbued with international uh, NGOs, international ventures, associations, you name it. There are so many international actors in Geneva, so much so that we talk about an international cooperation ecosystem uh, in this in this town. So from the League of Nations to the UN and beyond, Geneva is really the cradle of international cooperation and organized multilateralism. And its history is full of facts and people that shaped international thought and, and also practice. And so how do you view this heritage? Is there any episode or any historical figure linked to, uh, linked to Geneva that is of particular significant to you as the leader of UN Geneva? Yes, there is such a historical figure and of course all of you know the name, but I think you do not realize this figure is connected to League of Nations, to Geneva. And I'm speaking about Jean Monnet. Well, one of the père fondateur, founding fathers of the United, uh, of the European Union, or the European integration. For me, it's exactly, well, a revolutionary in economic and political thinkings, because Without his vision, without his revolutionary ideas, European Union wouldn't be born. Without the European Union, there would be many European conflicts still there because he find a solution how to really find a settlement to all these historical uh, conflicts. And at the same time, without the European Union, there wouldn't be other regional organizations, which we see around the world, in Latin America, in Asia, in uh, Eurasia, in Africa. He really created Monet Method. But very few people realize that he was the first Deputy Secretary General of the League of Nations. He worked here in Geneva till uh, 1922, at the founding uh, period of building a League of Nations, he was the deputy to the Secretary General. And now, because of this fantastic project, uh, when all League of Nations documents and archives are digitized, you can make a research and find many uh, documents on online about his activities here, because he really participated in establishing the secretariat. Uh, he really uh, participated in um, creating an atmosphere of work for the member states. And one of his memorandums were very interesting. Back in uh, 1920, he was speaking about the necessity for the member states or the League of Nations to work permanently together, not to meet only when there is a conflict 
but to work permanently. And this work, this knowing each other, receiving information, breathing each other, could help to prevent a conflict. And I am absolutely sure, and it's clear, that his experience here in the League of Nations allowed him later to offer his revolutionary ideas for the European Union. So really, this experience of League of Nations as a multilateral system is important not only for us, for the United Nations, as a multilateral system with... um, a member state. It's also important for supranational organizations because also there are certain things which were born here in Geneva. So for me, Jean, Jean Monnet is one of the figures about we, whom we should talk here in Geneva. And let's talk more about this concept of international Geneva. I don't know how, how familiar our audience is with the concept of international Geneva. Even people in Geneva are not, are not very sure about the definition of international Geneva. But by and large, it means that it's a city in which there are a lot of international actors or a lot of actors that are active in international relations. And I'd be interested to ask you, Director General, what is the relationship between the UN Secretariat here, the team that you lead here in the Palais des Nations, and this entity known as International Geneva? Uh, it's made of the other international organizations. There are many here in Geneva, but also academic institutions, the Graduate Institute just across the street, the University of Geneva, over 300 NGOs, the private sector itself, the media. And I'm asking you, you know, what is International Geneva to you in your position as, as Director General? Does it mean more support for the work that we do as UN or just more complexity and silos? How can we make use of this wealth of experience that exists around us here in Geneva? For me, International Geneva is um, a pilot project. It's a pilot project of the modern multilateralism fit for the 21st century. Because exactly what we have in Geneva, we have sovereign member states. We have more than 180 permanent missions. And member states are the key actors of inter- in the international area, key actors in the multilateral system. But they are no longer the only ones. We have also quite a number of international organizations with which we cooperate, exchange ideas, try to work together. We have representations of regional organizations because there are permanent missions, for example, of African Union or Organisation de la Francophonie, and that's important. We have a civil society and non-governmental organizations, uh, 750 non-governmental organizations, are here are represented here, and we work uh, with them as United Nations. You mentioned private sector, academia, universities, uh, young people uh, with whom we uh, regularly meet, etc. That's exactly the key actors in the modern, inclusive, integrated multilateral system. That's why we try here in Geneva exactly to work together and to show this possibility of working together, of finding solutions to the challenges, to work not in silos, but really uh, uh, together without any barriers or walls. And not, as I said, only within UN family, which is huge here, more than 40 
members of the UN family, organizations, programs, uh, agencies are here in Geneva. But as I said, with other uh, uh, key actors in the multilateral system. So if we succeed in Geneva, working within this ecosystem, that shows this model is viable, and this is the model for the 21st century. And this is a perfect segue into the next part of our conversation about the future of multilateralism. As we said before, we're releasing this episode on the occasion of International Day of Multilateralism and Diplomacy for Peace. And there is, there has been an important conversation ongoing about the transition from the old form of multilateralism in which uh, sovereign states were the only actors to a new form of multilateralism yet to be designed that could help nations overcome global problems uh, that can turn into big, big crises for the whole, uh, the whole of the planet, just like climate change, migration crisis, conflict inequalities. As we speak, there are still dozens of armed conflicts ongoing in the world. And the war in Ukraine is the most recent addition to this sad list of, of conflicts that we don't seem able to solve in a systemic way. So multilateralism is both um, an aspiration for people that work in international affairs, but it's also a pragmatic tool for coordinating economic and security interdependence. So I want to ask you, the specialist, the UN, of course, uh, and the Secretary General, but also the specialist in international affairs and, and economic, uh, in economics. How can we upgrade today's, today's uh, multilateralism? What, what do you think is missing in today's multilateralism that we can develop in the future so that it works better? Well, uh, the world is in transition. You said about it in the very beginning of our conversation. Really, we are going to a new social, economic, political order, new paradigm. We are still in transition, but it will be absolutely different perception of how we live. More uh, globalization, more interconnectedness, more equality, more sustainability, many other things. But if we are in this transition... And we are going to have a, hopefully, a new and better social and economic and political paradigm. That means multilateralism should change itself. And it's absolutely clear that, well, now in the 21st century, even the United Nations is no longer the organization, if you look into the, its membership, when it was in 1945. In 1945, 50 member states signed the charter. Now we have 193 member states. In 1945, many of them were not yet sovereign member states. So even if we are looking at from the point of view of member states, we see it's a different composition. And we have to change and adapt multilateral system to this new composition because many countries, developing countries, African continent are underrepresented when we think about the decision making within the United Nations. So, but that's just the part of the issue. As we already said, multilateral system is no longer only about the member states. There is a certain number of key players, which we already mentioned, international organizations, regional organizations, civil society, non-governmental organizations, private sector academia. So they all should have a place at the negotiation table. 
That's how we have to adapt multilateral system. And at the same time, when we are talking about all these actors, there are also two very important issues. Even if we have all these actors around the table, but these actors are not inclusive enough, there will not be effective result. And when I'm speaking about inclusivity, I'm speaking about gender balance, Without female representation in all these key actors, there will not be gender balance and really strong leadership, and half of the humanity are women, but also the representation of young people. Because, again, if we are looking from a different statistical uh, view, half of the humanity are young people under 30. And if they are not participating in decision-makings, which really affect their future, we do not have effective leadership. So we have to adapt to this new integrated and inclusive multilateral. And I would say United Nations is leading this conversation. The uh, report, our common agenda, released by Secretary uh, General last year, I would say is a revolutionary document. As an expert, as an analytical, I really advise everybody to read it. It's not too long, but it's really a brilliant piece of work of political thought. It's very important. And that's the basis for further discussions within the United Nations. Secretary General recently appointed 12 men and women panel, high-level panel on discussions for future of uh, multilateral, which will uh, present their ideas uh, to the member states. We plan, as uh, uh, suggested by Secretary General, to have summit of the future in 2023. So there is lots of work being done. That's why it's the high time to have these conversations about the multilateral, to listen to all points of view, to the ideas, because there is a place where you can bring these ideas. This is the United Nations, and there are mechanisms how we could put these ideas into work i think i think um hearing you talking about the future of multilateralism my minds go back to so much literature talking about multilateralism being under pressure or even under attack be it as it may yet it is still the best solution for the world's increasing complexity and global challenges. So that's the way forward. And I'm very glad that you mentioned our common agenda uh, because it is a strategy for a better world, as you say. And, um, and you said that, um, that people should read it. And, and this is perhaps one of the problems with UN documents is that people have grown, uh, tired of the kind of formats and language, etc. But sometimes the UN is able to put out documents that are really significant. One is, of course, Agenda 2030. And the other one is uh, our common agenda. So I wanted to ask you as an individual, an expert, a, a, a woman in a leadership position and a UN staffer, what are the reasons that make you hopeful that in the end international collaboration will prevail over negative forces of disaggregation of the international community? Well, first, uh, you know, I love history. And I really believe that history is one of the sciences 
which is crucial to the development of humanity. Without history, without drawing lessons from history, we really do not have a future. And history teaches us that after each geopolitical conflict, the humanity realizes that the only possibility to prevent similar conflicts in the future is to unite, is to build multilateral cooperation. Well, there were many... uh, um, ideas and discussions back in the past. I will not speak about too ancient history, but recent history, 20th 20th century, after the First World War, League of Nations was built, after the uh, Second World War, United Nations. Now we are amid the most serious geopolitical uh, conflicts since the Second World War, and I am absolutely sure that the result of this conflict will be also the understanding we need a stronger multilateral uh, system to prevent conflicts in the future. But it's not only history. In uh, 2020, uh, in order to mark the 75th anniversary of the United Nations, we had a global conversation with the people around the world. We asked them via survey, after uh, via many types of discussions, what you Think about the future. What kind of the United Nations you need? Do you want stronger United Nations? And the results of this conversation and people all around the world from all the member states participated in it was people want more multilateral. People want more uh, United Nations. In many parts of the world, in many countries, people trust more United Nations than they trust their local or national governments. Because for them, exactly the basic documents of the United Nations, UN Charter, uh, Human Rights Declaration, Sustainable Development Goals, are really the documents they understand and the aims they share. So I really think that we have the support not only of the member states to move to a stronger a multilateral system, but also, and that's much more important, the support of people all around the world. I think that is very important too. Director General Tatiana Valovaya, as we, as we wrap up this conversation today, uh, remind, mindful that is International Day uh, for Multilateralism and Diplomacy for Peace. If you had one message for those who are listening to take away in their hearts and minds, what would that be? Well, my message would be uh, wherever you work, in uh, international organization, for your national government, for private sector, for yourself, are you a student or you're working at home, etc., you still can participate in multilateral work. And what's more important, you should. Because if you are not involved in multilateral activities, if you are not participating in the agenda of multilateral organizations, if you are not participating in sustainable development goals, you are not doing everything you can in order to have better future, peace, prosperity for all people around the world. So my message is, you shouldn't be a diplomat to work for multilateral system. You can do it whenever you are working now, and that's important. And the Secretary General Tataya Valovaya, Director General of UN Geneva, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you.